Welcome to the Holy Arrows podcast. I'm your host, Phoenix Amara, author of Ascension of Gaia, founder of the Temple Arts Alchemy Mystery School, Muse and Mother. We're here to delve deep into the power of Holy Arrows and all things devotion, intimacy, sacred sexuality, and love where the transformational medicine of our soul, sex, and art intersects and transforms ourselves and the world. Enjoy today's episode. And today I am so elated to have this beautiful, gorgeous goddess on today's show. Natalie Abraham is a certified somatic trauma therapist, an intimacy coach and heart initiator, an artist, healer, and poet. She guides transformative journeys through multiple sensual and sexual arts, including dancing into Tantra, rope healing, shabari, erotic explorations, female embodiment, men's circles, and so much more. And her key emphasis lies in vulnerability, empowerment, and conscious intimacy. She's also the host and founder of her live radio talk show, Let's Talk About, conversing with international experts on subjects of relationships, sex, and taboo. Welcome to the show, (laughs) Natalie. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow. I'm so, so excited to see you, to meet you. So I want to share a little secret with you. And it's, it's kind of funny how we became connected because I actually thought you were another Natalie Abraham online who is local and into, you know, Tantra and sacred sexuality. And so I like, I just clicked on the, you know, I followed you, I think it was on Instagram. And then I was like, this is not the Natalie I thought it was, but I was like, this is perfect. And she's this amazing, juicy goddess who's sharing all of this important wisdom around sacred sexuality and the medicine of our times. And so I kind of stalked you a little bit. And then I started seeing these amazing events that you've been throwing and your tour. And I know that you've you've done ISTA training as well and many other different trainings. And, you know, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing when I see people out there that are like trailblazing this work because it's so needed on the planet. You know, and so I'm sure you have a bit of a story and (laughs) the crucible moment that brought you into this path because, you know, we don't grow up as teenage, well, sometimes we do, but, you know, as teenagers or young adults being like, I think I want to help people, you know, get into their bodies and feel desire and explore taboos. And, you know, sometimes there's a moment in our lives that really kicks us in the ass or a heartbreak or a meltdown or some kind of crucible moment that brings us to our soul's purpose in this work. And so maybe you can start by sharing with us, like, mm-hmm. what happened? How did you get onto this path? <laughs> wow. You know, it has so many. Um points in my journey um it's very hard to pick that one moment but uh, if I did need to I would say it would be so actually before the world of sexuality opened to me it was actually sensuality my sensual body Mm -hmm. that awakened to me first which was um you know, I was a mother to a very young child that um, 
she was beginning to have symptoms of some kind of emotional stress. And after doing a lot of research about why, I understood that it was directed at my happiness. She was having these physical symptoms related to her knowing about my unhappiness, even though I thought I was such a good liar. <laughs> you know, I thought I could really bypass this wisdom that they told me the kids know everything. And I was like, no, I'm I, I can I can bypass that. But I couldn't. And when I understood that she really felt my unhappiness, I got this big slap in my face and I was like, okay, in order to be a good mother, my first priority is actually myself. Mm. And that was a whole deep deconditioning of what they tell you of being a good mother is to give up yourself for your child. And actually, I learned in those moments that the best thing I could do was to actually nourish myself and follow my dreams and be independent and be loving and be, you know, all of those things that I want her to be, I need to become that message. Oh. So I went into this deep journey of, okay, so what makes me happy? And the first gateway was dance. I used to dance salsa many years before, and it was a dream of mine. And I kind of went back into this Latin world and I met the more sensual dances, the bachata, kizomba, zouk, and suddenly I met myself in these sensual dance interactions where actually a lot of insecurity came up. You know, a lot of men that I was dancing with that made me feel like shit, you know, and a lot of old wounds came up and a lot of, you know, rejection wounds and being 18 and not being chosen for the prom. And suddenly I'm 36 years old, waiting on the side, waiting to be chosen to dance. And, you know, all of these, all of these um, old, old pains came through and I was so dedicated to being such a good dancer. And when I used to look at the dance floor, I used to see that the dance floor does not lie. A woman that loves herself, you can see it. And it has nothing to do with her aesthetic. The most beautifully aesthetic woman that doesn't love herself, you can see that on the dance floor. And the opposite, you know, the, the most... Uh, an aesthetic, let's say, woman that love herself was actually the most beautiful transmission of self-love. And I realized that in order for me to be a fantastic dancer, I need to love myself. And so I went to this whole deep journey of, do I really love myself? Oh. And that, in such an indirect way, I learned self-love like never before. Mm. I met my wounds like never before. And I became a very good dancer and I became love. And that opened up my eyes to loving myself so deeply to beginning to meet actually my greatest wounds, which was my sexual wounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was like, um, yeah. I would say that I I began to follow signs and I got the sign to do a sexual shamanic retreat 
Um, and I flew three days later to Spain to do this uh, retreat that actually I didn't think would move me so much. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, I don't need this. Um, yeah. It's not for me. I'm already fine. I don't know. I had all of these ideas <laughs> and I'm fine. <laughs> and there I met, I guess, my greatest fear in my life, which was actually nothing to do with sexuality, was my stage fright issues. But I also learned a whole new conversation with my body and my sexuality and my wounds, my sexual wounds began to soften and I began to feel that I'm actually normal and that many people are in the same boat as me. And and I realized also how wounded I am. I think I didn't know. I, mm. I didn't know how disconnected I was to my body and, and the pressure from the outside voices um of who how people translated my sexuality to be that mm. in my eyes became a given like okay i'm like this i guess sex is not important to me i guess sex is uh not you know it's more of a burden for me actually in many ways and um and that was a truth that i came into peace with at some point i was like okay well this is how i am mm. i'm just not the sexual person <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm just feeling that in my body wow what I, a belief I held on to for years and I I want to like highlight this because I think that that's a belief a lot of people hold as a wound and a barrier that they they put in front of them like well I'm just not a sexual person or I've been married for 20 years or I've been through so much trauma that I can never touch those parts of tenderness and vulnerability again. And I also want to circle back to this piece around like motherhood and sexuality. And, you know, we don't grow up as you know, with a whole lot of sexual education. I mean, mentors, even having someone we can talk to that isn't our own age and equally as clueless, like, you know, people, most people fumble in the dark for most of their lives around sexuality. And, and I love how you, you touched on this, I think this cultural wound too, as well for mothers where, yeah, we are taught, you know, I have a seven-year-old and we're taught like, well, you have to give up your pleasure and, oh, this is it. Motherhood now means sacrificing desire and embodiment and peace. And, and I feel like you've kind of illuminated this this archetype that is re-emerging again it feels like it's the erotic mother you know and it's and and so I want to actually ask you some questions around how it's been with having a teenager I saw this beautiful video this really like I get chills thinking about it as a mother who doesn't have a teenager yet but will and it's like as adults, when we can do this work around healing with our sexuality, we can impart those gifts to our children instead of passing down wounds, you know, ancestral wounds. Mm-hmm. And in this video, you, I think you'd kind of had this experience, maybe you can share the degree of comfortability you have around it, but you had this experience with your teenage daughter that for me, like I cried being like, oh, like how amazing would it have been if we had all as women had these experiences with our mothers around our pleasure and that it's not this sin, but it's this gift and then being, you know, encouraged or supported. Can you 
Mm. Maybe share a little more about what that was. Yes, I can. <sighs> oh, it really, really, every time I think about some of those moments that I, I mean, first of all, I should say my daughter's not a teenager, she's 10. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, some mothers are like, oh, she's too young to talk about things like this with and actually this journey of openness you know started with Elia I I've always been open to her in so many ways but actually connecting the sexual body began when she was six so we've already had these droplets of information coming for forever you know from her body to to her pleasure this is like an ongoing thing to my period that she sees and like it's constantly I never have the talk with her ever you know it's always like uh, in the in the middle of life we talk about something small in between everything else that we're talking about you know mm. um but I, I don't know which of the two stories that you're discussing thinking about so I will mention both of them so the first story that I recently published was um, when I was going through my Yoni awakening. You know, I was 37 years old. She was seven. And I had this altar by my bed with all of my toys and my wands and mirrors and things that were helping me connect to my Yoni. And one day she came by this table and, you know, she plays around with some of the items there, wondering what they are. And she took this mirror and she started looking at herself in the mirror and quite instinctively she went through her yoni. And then she just stayed there and was like, huh, and just <laughs> looking. And I, and then she had this instantaneous shock. Like she remembered that I'm in the room with her and she was like, Ah, oh, but I, I sat there and I looked at her and I was like, yeah, I, I do that too. And she said, really? And I said, yes. And I just left the room and I allowed her to continue looking. And she like, you know, looked a little bit more and continued with the rest of her body. And it was such a, yeah, this is a part of, of who I am. There was no focus of needing to, to eat, stop there or leave there or anything. It was like, this is a part of your body. Mm -hmm. you know so that that was a very beautiful moment for us mm. and the second story was when her friend came over I think they were nine at the time and I had this big massage gun this huge very vibratingly <laughs> I know that one, I know that one. <laughs> massage gun yeah. And she kind of, her friend took the, the gun, it was in the kitchen counter, and she started, you know, just feeling, she put it on a strong vibration, it's like, oh, 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 and slowly making her way down, and then she reached her yoni, and then she was suddenly shocked at how much pleasure she found there, and she was like, oh, this feels so good, <laughs> and my daughter was like, let me see, let me see, and she took the gun, and she she went directly to her yoni and started putting it. Then she was like, oh, this feels so great. And I was just on the other side of the counter looking at them. And I'm like, you know, my first thought was actually, I thought about my mother. Now, if this was my mother or many other mothers, mm. how would they react to this moment? And 
you know, this was a matter of seconds. And I just looked at them and I said, that does feel so good, doesn't it? And they were like, yeah. And I left. I left them to play and they continued to play a little bit more. And it took them just a few minutes to to leave it. But I came into my room and I was ecstatic. <laughs> I was I, I really felt the lineage break from yeah. all the generations before me, all of them. I felt, I felt a cut and it was physical in so many ways. And I, I was, I was high for like three days after that. <laughs> it was a very, very powerful moment. <sighs> yeah. It it feels like there's this this awakening that's just happening in our generation with the women that are, you know, yeah, connecting to their yonis as adults for like the very first time. And the mothers, the the women that have children, they have an opportunity to impart that gift, you know, to the children and that it's like. I feel like there's this, you know, this curse, you know, through what is it, the Eve complex, you know, we look at the Eve archetype where her, her pleasure was what caused sin on humanity and like all this stuff in religion that, you know, is very subconscious and subtle. And, you know, when I reflect back on, man, me and my mother's relationship with sexuality, it was like shoving some books under my door, you know, and, And that was like, okay, so I can't even be talked to about it. I guess it's a secret, right? And so I really love how gentle that was that you kind of just like, ah, you know, it's, it's that beautiful balance of like, letting them know that it's okay. And also honoring the stage that they're in, right? It's, you know, I I think that's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. There is no handbook for parents on no. How do you approach conscious sexuality with your children, right? They're, we're just trying to figure it out right now, right? Would you right. Say? right. And yeah. even deeper than that is also addressing all of the um, all of the toxicity that is around sexuality these days. Like, you know, last month I had to have the conversation about porn with her. And, you know, I noticed how nervous I was and shy and, and that I didn't even know what to say, you know, because I, I found out that the, this porn going around in the school and I was like, okay, how I guess my own trauma with porn made it a very vulnerable conversation for me. It was the first conversation that I was like, well, actually, I have no idea how to address this. And addressing that, you know, she became very shy and I became very shy. And I said, wow, we are both so shy right now. And it's so crazy. (laughs) Like just bringing my vulnerability to the table opened up the whole conversation. And and then going deep into my story, not so deep, but on a a surface level that what was good enough for her. Mm -hmm. And the conversation was so profound. That I started doing webinars for parents and I went to her school to teach their parents on how to have this conversation around porn. And, you know, the parents were shocked because they came and they thought I would just tell them how to have conversations about porn to their kids. But actually, half of the workshop was, what is your relationship with porn? What is your relationship with sexuality? How much shame do you have? Because you cannot transmit teachings when you and yourself have, you know, all of these deep conditionings on what porn is to you. 
And so they were like very on the spot. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> it was beautiful transmission. <laughs> when was the first time you got caught with porn? How did that make you feel? And how did that affect the rest of your life till today? You know? Oh, you know, and it's, oh, wow. I'm even just thinking back, like, I think actually I made porn. Not not, not like that, but I, I drew a comic porn when I was like, I think nine with my girlfriend and it was a little thing it was like oh really there was bums and penises in it and it was a comic it was very crudely done and me and my girlfriend got caught and I got grounded I got grounded for like a month or something like it was like maybe I was 13 but I can't remember it was I was young and I realized like oh okay you can't talk about this with parents because it's you know it's not allowed And so I really love that you're sharing this also too and transmitting that with parents. And that's all it takes is just one parent in a school or one parent in a in a group of other parents to be like, hey, because if the parents aren't going to talk to their children about it, they're going to constantly look to external sources for right. insight, wisdom. And a lot of those sources sometimes are good and sometimes are not right. so healthy right. sources of education. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I really and also how can you bring this conversation without the element of shame fear blame you know it's like yeah I get it like even adults are addicted to this you know how can I expect my child not to be you know Mm -hmm. so this isn't about the forbidden fruit it's like okay babe you I cannot control what you watch I trust you to do what is good for you but what do I want you to remember if yeah. when you watch this again, you will definitely watch this again. Even when I press a streaming movie and suddenly a thousand pop-ups yeah. come up, like you will come across this, but what do I always want you to remember? And that was the teaching. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't not to watch porn and why it's so bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what is it not? It's not love. This is not love, number one, you know? And these bodies have so many shapes, you know? Have you ever looked at a, a, a music video and seeing these women with so many tight yeah. I don't know bellies in porn pussies and be like oh mine mine looks different yeah you know mine looks different and and can you I and I shared with her I found healing I only realized I was normal when I was 37 years old and I don't want you to live like that for most of your life just to know that your body is so beautiful just as it is and she like came up with all of these questions like why why are women why are men why why the sex why you know why is (laughs) so much of this online and and I was like because people are afraid ashamed to talk about it with their husbands with their wives as adults as parents as you know this is a a subject that people don't know how to talk Mm. about Mm. she she was like ah and (laughs) our relationship completely changed after that Mm. you know even on an emotional level like she became very open to me now that we spoke about the most forbidden fruits yeah. You know, that I accepted. I was like, wow, I understand. It's not just a you thing, it's a it's a human thing. Mm. That was very liberating. I can just feel like the ripples of generations being empowered and liberated from the shackles of shame that we carried, you know, through our ancestry and and that we can empower them 
so that when they do go out into the world, they are equipped with at least some kernels of truth that they can tuck within themselves so that when they are faced with, you know, face filters galore and, you know, pressures maybe to do things that they don't want to do. And, you know, and just all of the, the things that we often face as young adults, right, around sexuality in our bodies, that they will at least be able to remember like, oh, I remember I spoke to my mother or another woman about that. And you know what? <laughs> I don't feel comfortable with that. Or I, I love myself and I don't feel the need to change myself because I mean, women, I think, especially too, we are the ones that go through even more pressure to get implants, to get, uh, you know, body modifications, to look a certain idealized way or to perform a certain way sexually. And it goes on and on and on. And it's yeah. this reclamation that it's like, maybe they don't ever even have to go through that, that they can just grow up, you know, like I see my daughter and how empowered she is in consent because I've, I've modeled that. Like, you know, sometimes people will go to just grab her and, and hug her and she's like, Oh no, that's not consensual. I don't want one. And I'm like, yes, you know, she's seven and she's like, at least got that in her belt, you know, but um, in your, in your work now, where would you say you feel like you're on the leading edge of like new insight in your work with people and how you're working with people? Like what is, what codes are really landing in you right now in your own personal life and your work? Yeah. So, you know, I would say the whole, the erotic in all of its colors. Right. And, um, and I feel that many people are attracted to the erotic for the wrong reasons. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, I want to have multiple orgasms. I want to practice non-ejaculation. I want to da, 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 da. You know, why people come and study or Google Tantra, you know, is to save a relationship or to save, you know, something. And um, for me, to meet the erotic is coming into, you know, the, the the self. Who am I? How am I? My masculine, my feminine, my inner divinity. How easy is it for me to be vulnerable in front of someone else? What is intimacy for me? How can I look into someone's eyes and allow myself to be seen? Yeah. How can I awaken my senses? So I become more sensitive when I am finally in an erotic experience. How can I move my glance inwards as well as outwards? Like, do I really know what I'm feeling? You know, so much of this robotic sexuality um, is something that most of us have. It's like these certain ways of acting, being, performing. Mm. Um, you know, working with the wheel of consent, for example, is like one one way of just um, understanding, am I giving pleasure? Something so simple. Am I giving pleasure? Am I receiving pleasure? Like people don't realize that, that that's an option. You know, people that are always giving, 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 giving pleasure, they don't even turn the mirror around. Wait, am I, am I feeling pleasure right now? And even this whole concept of running so fast from a date to fucking, you know, like the line between that is so fast <laughs> sometimes. And, you know, I I feel like the erotic lives 
in this in-between phase right mm-hmm. like even you remember the movies from the 90s when in order to kiss the girl like first they would like put a hand first they would stretch you know mm-hmm. and then slowly put the hand around and then and the kiss like that first kiss would be so, so slow and the tensity that's in this space would be like, ah, like just do it, just do it already. But it would be so slow. And I can imagine the feeling between those two people would be like, ah, like almost, I can't take it any longer. And then finally the lips would meet. Yeah. And that was the moment of, ah, we met. And then the tongues and then the bodies. And, and I feel like in this day and age, we have missed. We are missing all of that tensity. It's like, I want to kiss you, but I cannot take all of this. And it's like, boom, you know, like just to bypass that. And and this is for me where the erotic lives. It's that Mm -hmm. in between that you're going so slow that you can feel Mm -hmm. everything, the nervousness, the excitement, the pleasure, the senses, the the everything. (sighs) And then you can really touch that first moments of the bodies, of the genitals, of the souls, of the hearts, of the sound, the smell, the taste, like you you are awakened to so many realms of pleasure. That's where the erotic lives, Mm. in that place in between. Mm. Yeah, I'm reminded, uh, you know, like in those, you know, young young romances right where you have a crush on someone for months mm. and you know just standing next to them like your body flushes and you know and you haven't confessed your your love to them yet and like I remember my first like real love you know we worked together for three months you know and we would just polish cutlery and I just oh my god I'm standing next to him and you know, the flirting, even flirting, right? Like just taking that time to flirt. And mm. do you feel like because maybe the oversaturation, and again, I don't like to shame porn, but do you feel like it's the oversaturation of people's usage of it, that it's just, it, it's kind of bought, like overwhelmed the system and that, and it's tuned the nervous system differently, like from an energetic standpoint, do you feel that sometimes? Like, yeah. I think porn had a very, very big effect on the mind and of the body. And um, yeah, it's like it's like a vibrator in many ways. It's like, you know, you get these days such good vibrators that who needs a human? And, you know, when you get finally get a human interaction, you know, you become so insensitive to the heart, to the journey, to ritual, to making love. Mm. And so that has had an, a human effect on sexuality. Mm-hmm. But if we take it um, deeper than that, then, yeah, I think overall there's been a very big disconnection between love and sex mm. you know and then this whole world of dating you know tinders and grinders and all of this <laughs> uh, 
um very fast fucking apps like people don't go on dates anymore actually it's like you know i got divorced after 13 years marriage and to date after that time wow. like <laughs> <a> completely <laughs> different world is like once yeah. you meet someone and you know you know have eye contact and slowly slowly ask for a number and maybe go for dinner and like all of this path to yeah. to becoming intimate and now it's like you know, these swipe left, swipe right, swipe left, swipe right. And the first question is, what are you into sexually? Yeah. You know, what are you into? Is there a match? Is there no match? And it's like, oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's become so superficial in so many ways. I think so, people are hungry for that, like that connection, but they're, they don't know, yeah. well, where is it? How do I get it? And then and it, it also, I want you to share a little bit more too around your relationship with love, but, you know, would you say too that there's like this, this piece around trust, right? Like intimacy comes from this slow development of trust that, yeah, you know, it's, it has to be earned, right? And I think right. that sometimes when we're bypassing the trust, we're bypassing our body's senses even too like if our bodies aren't fully like ready to open but we're still opening them then we're kind of also overriding trust with our own bodies and hearts you know and it's not to discount like you know some people if they're they have lovers and they're rejuvenating their sex life after like decades of not having that like I can see space and places for different kinds of connecting but when it's I, I see what you're saying, right? And I can feel that. And I'm sure a lot of people feel that, but they're like, well, how do I meet people in these, this day and age? Like, where do I meet people? How do I find people that are, I think that's the question that I get asked a lot. Well, like, I want to date, I want to meet people, but where are all the conscious men, Phoenix? Where's all these amazing, beautiful women, Phoenix? Like, how do I meet them? And, you know, like men are like, I'm afraid to look at a woman because she's going to yell at me and and call me a, a you know, I don't know, a perpetrator or something else because I complimented her. And then women are like, well, where do I meet conscious men, you know, that are into Tantra and sacred sexuality. And it's like, oh, I just feel for where we're at right now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Two things come to my mind in these words. One is, you know, trust has become a question with many people because there are so many attractions and distractions and to find devotion, Mm. you know, to work through human relating. It's like, wow, I need to be so perfect because otherwise he or she will, you know, find something much easier elsewhere. So there's this big piece of um, how easy people leave actually. Mm. Um, and the second thing is going to be this distortion around, you know, the masculine and feminine qualities that right now I feel is so messy. There is a lot of toxicity around the masculine and feminine expressions mm-hmm. or, or um, you know, many women needing to, you know, let's say want careers and blah, blah, blah. And they develop this very masculine role and then they kind of forget 
or reject or put aside their femininity because of this role that they're coming into the world with. And the same with the other side. A lot of the men these days are feeling very demasculated. You know, the whole Me Too movement and da 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 da. So so much is going on that's actually so they're either becoming toxic masculine, which is like you know more the aggressive perpetrator in many ways. And they're, or they are, you know, coming more into their feminine because they have fear there of kissing. Like they, there's so much need for consent. Now, can I kiss you? Like there's this, there's, <laughs> there's, there's an imbalance of like, don't ask me. So yeah. it, it's just it's become so so extreme in so many That's ways. Place. <laughs> yeah, and and I understand it. Like, how can you find a balance? How can you feel safety? Yeah. to be also the dry, driven focused present woman and also know how to melt into surrender and mm-hmm. softness you know and and this is a work this is one of the works that i it's really been one of my main focuses for the last 3 years like beyond sexuality beyond everything it's like this work um between the polarity of the light masculine, dark masculine, light feminine, dark feminine, like finding balance there and finding my inner marriage really shaped my life, Mm. really shaped my life that I can constantly choose to dance between all of these quadrants Mm. and uh, and finding where am I toxic, you know, so I had so much drama, so much toxicity in my victim, in my, ah, so, so much of my aggressiveness, like really diving into the teachings of these very powerful quadrants that, that live on this earth since the beginning of time, you know, this whole Adam and Eve story, you know, this was the first, the first element of when the world was divided into human masculine and feminine and not divided accurately so we're always finding this we always have this need to complement one another because we have been cut from the beginning of time and so our longings is always to unite but people search for the unity from the outside Mm. if I'm in my feminine expression then I need to be filled by the masculine expression and this has been the pressure of relationships actually all of this time it's like I need you to fill what I don't have inside of myself Mm. but it's not true it's like we can dance with those balances within us and then when you do have this capability to dance between your own inner masculine and feminine then when you meet another it's never from a place of need Mm. you know and so the expectation and need from the other reduces the arguments reduce, the pressure reduces. And then what you're doing is completely in this dance of, mm-hmm. okay, now you want to lead, now I want to lead, now you want to surrender, now I want to surrender. And and this is when harmony comes within long-term relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this capacity to, to be flexible and you're not stuck on an identity. I am this and I need you to be this always. You know, you need to be the provider always. You need to lead always, or you need to surrender to me always. Like it goes on both sides. This is what is the creation of all of our conflict in my eyes. I want to lovingly interrupt the conversation here for a moment and invite you to take a pause 
And just for a brief moment, envision a community where you're gently invited to allow your heart to unfold in tenderness, where you're playfully challenged to be witnessed in your beauty and your sensuality, a place where you're supported by myself and an entire community to let your guard down finally and let your heart's sacred gifts shine where you're inspired to open your heart to more of your wild, beautiful vulnerability, where you'll explore deeper intimacy with yourself and others through a monthly co-ed container, where you meet with everyone once a month, as well as deep dive with either our men's or women's circle. Yes, this is coming online. This space is Archetypal Eros. And it is a community for those who are ready to open in deeper love within themselves and in their partnerships. Open to deeper love within their work and their creative expression and their soul's dharma. And we're going to be exploring consciously beautiful rituals, conversations, and practices to open one's heart and sex to wild and devotional love. And it's also for couples who are here for deeper, juicier terrain to explore within their relationship. You can get on the wait list for Archetypal Eros in the show notes. And we're going to begin this beautiful, wild and radical journey in September. But you can get on the wait list and get access to some really beautiful free gifts, some practices, some resources in the meantime. And I just invite you to consider what your life could look like in six months, the kind of love that you could be in, the kind of sex that you could be enjoying and exploring and open to, the kind of wild devotion that your heart has been aching for. And we're going to go deep. We're going to go wild. We're going to live and love out loud together. I love this metaphor too of dancing, you know, because it's such a beautiful one to think about. When you think about the most beautiful dances, there's a trust and a joy that takes place in, right. you know, that exchange, right? And different kinds of dance have different kinds of exchanges. Right. Natalie, what would you say was some of the biggest pieces that you had to work within yourself in order to open yourself to love and I'm not sure what your relationship status is or you know where you're at I I saw a few things recently that I was like oh what's going on there <laughs> but um I you know, <laughs> I'm curious to hear from you like as somebody who has yeah been through you know many different iterations of life and roles you know what would you say were some of the more challenging things of growth that you had to go through within yourself? I have so many answers to this because it's been such a journey for me. Um, what's coming up now is this, if I remember myself from always, I remember being so much love so much love as a young child as a teenager like throughout the years my connection to the quality of love was I think beyond the norm <laughs> and um and I hated that mm. I hated that at some point because it made me so sensitive and it made me 
afraid of being this, you know, kitschy, cheesy, how I was portrayed in those days, woman, girl. So the masks that I built onto myself to hide that, to hide that power that I am, that I was, became very big. And, you know, you know, my poker face, the joker, the cool girl, the, you know, all of these, uh, all of these masks that I put on myself, you know, to hide my shy face, my embarrassment, all of these qualities that now I love, mm. I just love within me. So I guess I had to hide a lot of who I am for a long part of my life. And... Um, Stepping into becoming love has been one of the most uh, liberating uh, expressions of me. Mm. Um, yeah, this whole piece on vulnerability. And when I learned that I am so beautiful when I am vulnerable and when I'm shy and when my cheeks are blushing, because my cheeks, when they blush, they go so red. <laughs> and I used, to, I used to hate that about me. I used to hate it. And, mm. you know, I would pretend almost it's not happening and just put this this straight face on just to, to not hide that I am dying <laughs> inside right now. <laughs> And now that has become love for me, this expression of love and also being very open to loving other people without the fear that they will translate my love into, ah, oh, she wants to fuck me, you mm. know, which I get, by the way, you know, I get that many times, like my love is so open and so welcoming. Mm. My sensual body is very alive and awake. And again, that was something that I would hide with friends, with my friends, husbands, with, you know, all of these people, my mother, my, all of these people that I was not allowed to show that in case they would think that I am, you know, that dot, dot, dot. Mm. And now that expression of my love is very clear to everyone. And yes, some people mistranslate that. And, you know, I would say, you know, so these pieces that you've recently seen probably on my Instagram with these guys that are in my life and I am not sexual with any of them, you know, it's like, and, and this is the, the creation of how close can you be with a man without yeah. needing to fuck him, you know, mm -hmm. and how close can you be in a friendship? You yeah. know, how, how can bodies meet? How can hearts meet? How mm -hmm. can you be so close to someone's face and have him kiss my head and both of us meet me mm -hmm. in this divine moment of love, of pure love mm -hmm. and still remain in friendship zone. And more than that, how sensual can you be with a friend without it needing to get sexual. And even if you feel sexual energy, can you allow that to rise? Can you receive that as a gift without needing it to be, oh, maybe we should fuck, you know? No, it's like, you know, one of my, I have a free webinar on my website, um, nataliesqueendom.com, and it's called Sensuality Versus Sexuality. And mm. it's these you know, I talk about four stages of intimacy, sensuality, sexual energy, and sex. And they're four different elements that once used to be one for me. If I had an intimate moment with someone, it means that he wants to fuck me, you know. 
in my relationship, if I was touched in this way, it means that I will be penetrated by the end of the hour, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And sorry, and that's what made me eventually hate being touched. Mm. You know, I don't want to be touched because I knew that this touch would mean I'm being penetrated. Mm-hmm. And so I mm. never knew that I could experience one with the other. I never knew I could be sensual with a friend and not need for him or her to think that I want to sleep with them or have a relationship with them. Or mm-hmm. And that's been like a a journey for the last few years. Like how long can I be, how close can I be to my girlfriends, mm-hmm. my guy friends? How can, and, and, you know, at one point I realized that actually I do – I love them so much that I want to kiss them. Like my <laughs> my 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 natural reflexes I'm opening into my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to kiss the people that I love. And is that is that allowed? If I kiss them, does that mean I need to sleep with them? It's like breaking it down, breaking it down and realizing actually some of my friends I want to kiss. And just because I I, you know, <laughs> I was learning Kabbalah mm. for a while and I was learning about the mouth. What is happening when two mouths unite? Because in my, whenever I close my eyes, the first thing I see are two mouths uniting. That's what happens to me. And I didn't even pay attention to it until last year. I was like, well, wow, that's something that that happens. Why? Like, what is that? And I went into my Kabbalistic teachings and I asked, like, what happened? Why am I having these visions all my life? Like, I close my eyes, I see mouths. <laughs> and there's no face there. There's no, it's not even a human face. It's just mm-hmm. mouths. I can see them. And I learned that what is coming from the mouth is the spirit. Mm. When, when, when we have been breathed life into us, you know, according to the religious scriptures, you know, God breathed into the human body with his mouth. He breathed into our mouths with a divine breath. And that's what awakened us, right, into, into, into life. Mm-hmm. And so when, we are, when the mouths are uniting, it's like a memory of uniting with, with this divine spirit. You know, the, this longing that we all have to unite with oneness again and when the mouth it's like that memory that desire that longing to reunite with oneness and that's what is happening it's like this deep exchange of love that is beyond the human love like that is the the essence of desire of wanting to come together in the mouth to reunite with the oneness that we remember as soul you know and and this it's like when I meet my friends, yeah, there's so much love within me. I just want to unite as love, as one. And that does have nothing to do with me needing to be penetrated, you know? I feel like that you're touching on this piece around intimacy and some of the, the, the kind of core truths around it. And again, intimacy, you know, when we look at it, intimacy actually exists in many different ways in the way that a mother loves a child in a way that we love our grandparents in the way that, you know, we love an aunt or our neighbor, you know, and, and that this piece around non-sexual intimacy is, I think, one of the antidotes to our you know, porn culture that has taught us that any kind of touching is like, oh, fucking, you know, and, and 
it helps right. reestablish that um, no expectation zone, I think, too, that some of the teachings you shared earlier, you know, the wheel of consent and different practices to put ourselves in these spaces of no expectation and and listening to what is between two people and leading from that, you know, like leading from the presence. I mean, you know, I'm I'm even wondering, like, when our makeout party is going to make a comeback? You know, I'm like forget about sex parties, like makeout parties, man. Like that is the, you know, <laughs> as adults, the, we, we're like, well, we can do whatever we want. So let's just, you know, cut. And I think sex is beautiful. I'm, you know, a huge advocate of people having really beautiful, good, nourishing, loving sex. Right. But sometimes there's some healing work that has, has to come back to ourselves, right? Like people, sometimes masturbate just so they can fall asleep or you know so that they can move through anxiety and it's where do we use sexuality as a crutch and then where where can it be this thing that brings us together f- from the the right intention that's what I'm hearing is like the right intentions is yeah. that you say yeah 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 I'm curious so you mentioned uh, a little bit around like working with people and I know that you have a tour that you are on and uh, maybe you can just briefly take a couple minutes and share with us around you know what is happening um, with your tour and um, being in Europe and and just share how people can find out a little bit more about about you and and come across you and and work with you. Yeah I'm very excited this year I have such a beautiful tour coming up it actually begins in a few days Um, yeah, I will be in Europe, in Holland, in Berlin, in Malta, Sweden, Turkey, Ireland, Israel, Egypt. And um, yeah, my my offerings in most of these places this this year is really about the erotic and about breaking down what is the erotic. And also, I think one big message is how I can be also this expression and also this expression. And that's one of my, that's one of my big messages right now. It's like, how can I be this soft, sweet, romantic man, woman, and also dive into the power of the wild, the passionate. I think so many people choose, they're either this or that. And in my experience, in my life, I come from a very light feminine uh, background <laughs> you know super naive super soft super you know good girl kind of um personality and um my my biggest challenge was to meet the dark feminine in me not even the masculine the masculine was much easier for me to tap mm. into but the dark feminine who she is like you know wild and passionate and seductive and um the seduction part I think I was always good at but coming from a a, a healthy place or more a conscious place you know that was a an element the fire like the fire element was uh was very far from my capability Mm. and when I finally embodied her you know a lot of fake it till you make it kind of stuff going on for me um, when I finally found power in her, when I finally found her embodied in my cells, mm. actually what happened was that my whole light feminine became balanced, became healthy. Mm. And I learned 
I only knew, I only noticed then that she wasn't healthy. It was like, I didn't know. It was like, wow, suddenly I had a, a new power mm. within me. And even when, you know, in specific sexuality, like this is very alive in my life, but specifically in sexuality, because that was my main challenge to be this fire, to be this dark feminine in the bedroom. I noticed something very, very amazing. That it, So just a little bit of, uh, sh you know, a vulnerable share is that, um, you know, when I started coming into the public, you know, coming out into what I do, and I was very, very judged by people. Some in a very positive way and some in a very judgmental way. and. Um, I was seeing this pattern with men that they would see my profile and suddenly they would back away, mm. you know? Mm. And so I felt this, um, you know, either people wanted to fuck me, you know, or if they were looking for a relationship, I would be, no, not, not relationship material. Yeah. Does that resonate with you? <laughs> yeah, I just had a really good conversation with someone around the whore virgin complex that's so rampant in our culture that it's like, uh, you know, men, they want the, the virgin, virginal, pure woman to marry, but then they want to cheat on her with, you know, the, the whore. But, you know, this this idea, right? And um, or the whore is not capable of the relationship aspect, but actually she exists. She's both sides of a woman. Yeah. And um, but yet we've created this separation that is, you know, through archetypal. Right. Uh, so and... in all of the in the feminine, masculine, light, dark, whore or mother, you know, like all of these opposites mm -hmm. have remained as opposites. You cannot be both. You're either this or you're that. You're this or you're that. And this is actually what I'm trying to break down is actually I can be all of it. And in one particular initiation that I went through in Turkey last year, mm -hmm. I was in this experience and suddenly I saw my hand every time she moved, she every every millimeter was a different expression. I was so much passion and direction and seduction. And in that same second, deep devotional love and this and and every I could dance between the light and the dark the whore and the love goddess mm. that I am momentarily and it was profound profound when I realized that I could be in the same moment the passion and the beauty of devotional love I can give you my whole heart and my whole passion at the exact same time mm. and that shaped me till today and I guess that was an inner healing that I needed because I guess I judged myself which was actually why the world was responding to me in that way ah. and, and I, I judged myself also even though I was very yeah. safe I felt safe but I felt judged and actually the judgment started inside of this ah. you, know, you you put you you press send on a post and you know I would have a little shift in my body like oh now people are going to think that I am da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, this oh. shift inside of me, I, I feel now, maybe some people still judge that part of me, but I, I feel that something is shifting, that people can look at me and feel my sexual erotic power mm. and still not disqualify my pureness, my sweetness, my love, my my romantic side. Like I felt uh -huh. that, you know, like I'm also so sweet oh. <laughs> and so loving yes. and so romantic yes. and so soft and so surrendered and wow. so, yeah. you know, this is such a big piece of me. And still I can be a powerful, erotic, passionate, wild, expressive, unapologetic yeah. woman. I feel and like not oh, you've you've touched on the stigma. You've touched on the stigma that I feel like is the reason why so many women don't even embark on this path of awakening and, and healing within themselves because there's a stigma that I mean we grew up I remember like the one thing that you never wanted to be called as a young girl was slut right and what is a slut a woman that right. had lots of sex oh god oh god like uh, shut down the communication channels everyone shut everything down some woman just really enjoyed fucking and sex and and oh my God, she had sex with like, and that was the thing. So I think that so many women hold this, like this, you know, it's like this internal fear that like, oh my God, if I actually enjoy myself or if I wear that lingerie outfit to a party that I'm going to be labeled a slut. And mm -hmm. I think that this is the inner healing that happens when women do work with the archetypes of the whore. I mean, Mary Magdalene, look at who was labeled a slut and a prostitute for like, aeons you know right. and now she's literally just been you know in the last what 10 years um, identified as a yeah. saint like god <laughs> yeah you know yeah i think that's a really big piece and just one more like we have so much to yeah. say but one mm -hmm. more piece to complete that i feel is actually for me the pressure of having sex mm. you know when i when i began to feel safety that actually many times i prefer a sensual awakening rather than a sexual awakening mm. you know that was very very healing for me to be able to say confidently you know right now i don't want to be penetrated i want to enjoy my sexual body my sexual energy my sensual body but actually penetration is not so important to me mm. that was also that took me years years and years and years to find safety and normality in being like actually it's not that important to me i can feel so aroused so much pleasure so awakened and your lingam does not even need to come close to me mm. you know and finding permission to to find that voice was truly It, it met me on a very, very deep level because I always had so much shame to have sex, you mm. know, that it always needs to end in penetration. Oh. And and so many times that pressure was, again, another thing that made me think that I hate sex mm. is because I don't want to be penetrated all the time, you know. Mm. And um, so that was also very, very healing for me. Mm. Natalie, I feel like we could just... Uh, 
I know. Go like create a movie together and and just spend like hours talking. I mean, it's juicy, right? This stuff is, is. what we want to be talking about. And I really appreciate you coming on the show and just sharing more of your heart and sharing more of your passion and your deep knowledge and wisdom. I want to ask you one question. Um, it's an authentic relating slash prayer question. And so the first one is, is if we were to really know you, Natalie, as a human, as a sister, as a close confidant, what is one thing that we would know about you? Ooh. Mm. And it could be anything. Um, you would know that the thing that arouses me the most in friendships, loverships, all of my relations is communication. Mm. I would say mm. it's, uh, right now it's very alive in me. So it's the first thing that comes. There's tons of things that, mm-hmm. you know, are <laughs> important, but right now, in this moment of my life and in my recent experiences, I realize that there is nothing that I that I appreciate more than authentic, healthy communication. Mm-hmm. I it's my number one mm-hmm. arousal point on all of my levels of relating. Mm. Mm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And my second and last question is, I have a new ritual, a new ritual with my listeners um, to honor you as today's guest and to honor you for just sharing your heart, bearing your soul with us. What is one prayer that you are deeply holding in your heart that our listeners, those listening today can give their energy and see manifesting for you in your life? What is one thing that they can support you in manifesting through the power of prayer and seeing it. They support me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, nice. <laughs> Cyclical relationships. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to get very personal. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> if I'm going to have uh, the support of lots of, of people. people. Mm then first of all, I would ask for the prayer of good health in my body. My body has been going through a lot in these last years, my digestion. Um, I think it's a lot of old, old, old wounds that are finally coming up and out of me. So my first wish for myself or to be supported by would be health, which is actually the most important thing for all of us you know if we don't have a health we don't have anything and um i would <laughs> you selfish you selfish here. i'm just gonna go in there yeah. <laughs> why not you know vulnerability yeah. is my thing apparently but uh i i really fall into my life and if I will be really specific in this request, it's like healthy, romantic, sexual, emotional relations, relations, 
Like I'm very, my, I think my ideology of relationships is constantly changing, but uh, actually I would really love more devoted long-term you know people that will really dive with me into the depths of what it means to devote yourself to love yeah. you know i want to i want people around me and not just even on a sexual level i want more and more i want to build this bubble of community of people that are like me devoted to the path of love specifically my request is also more sexual um like romantic relation but if i take that a little bit wider then then you know i long to build a community of people that live together mm. you know support one another and their their god is love you know mm. we practice together how to dive deeper into into loving into becoming love into relating in a way that is coming from this healthy place oh like that thought just makes me yeah, that's that's my that's my dream that's my dream i bring those people in to my life in this magical island of kopangan um i bring in this dream of buying this amazing land overlooking the beautiful sea and creating a loving relating community Beautiful. Well, listeners, my dear beloved community, if we can just all raise our prayers up and just mm. Natalie attracting, manifesting, experiencing that so effortlessly with ecstasy and joy and bliss and deliciousness, then so it is. So it is. Oh, thank you so much for being on today's show. We'll share all of Natalie's details in the show notes. Thank you, my love, for being here with us today. Thank you. I'm interested to know who is this other Natalie Abraham. <laughs> <laughs> your twin, your twin that brought me to you. Me. Oh, wow, I'm so curious. <laughs> thank you so much, goddess. Oh. Uh, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I really sent a personal prayer that our 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 bodies will meet in person one day our hearts i would love that if you enjoyed today's episode if you got something out of it if what was shared really touched you impacted you transformed you or shocked you we'd love to hear from you Feel free to share this episode with your friends and community. Feel free to leave us a review on Apple or Spotify and let us know what are your thoughts on what we discussed today. Do you have questions that you'd love to submit to the show? You can find more details on that and more at phoenixamara.com podcast. And you can submit your own questions to the podcast where I will take these and answer them on air. 